Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you are about to hear is a sermon given at one of our Sunday gatherings. We invite you to listen to how Scripture is forming our new church. We are in a series entitled Desert City Originals, and we are talking about our vision, DNA, and dreams as a church. We are almost three years in and feel like we're just getting started. Our hope is this message will help you become more like Jesus. As you pursue God, may you find your true self. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, let us know. Grace, peace, and much love. I'd like to announce that they installed a clock for me on the stage. So I now know where I'm at time-wise. So I've been going kind of long lately, but that should keep me on track. So uh, it's good uh, to be here uh, as we open up the Word. Uh, my hope is that we just uh, allow God to speak to us today, be formed by uh, this sacred text. We've been going through a series called This Is Us. And we've been talking about some of like the narrative arc of Scripture. Like this is a story, this is God's story, this is a story that we find ourselves in. And so as we've kind of looked at some of these big themes in Scripture, uh, we find what does that mean for our life? So we started off with creation story, talking about how we are made as humans in the image of God. This phrase, the Imago Dei, each and every one of us made in the image of God, male and female. Uh, which means every human that you come into contact with, you're, you're coming into contact with an image bearer. There's something sacred about human life, all humanity. And because of that, every human is, is just loaded with potential. Every human is an eternal being. We talked about what does that mean for us to be designed and created in God's image. But then we talked about how even though we're created in the image of God, something has gone wrong. There's something that is off. And we talked about how this idea of rebellion enters the story of Scripture. And even though we're created in the image of God, there, the, the, the way that life is uh, doesn't necessarily match up. Humanity has been broken. We talked about the, the, the old prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer, who was this promiscuous woman who God had told him to marry. And it's, it, it's kind of this metaphor of something much bigger that's going on with God and his people. We've become a very promiscuous people. So how do we move from this idea of being bearers of God's image to being a rebellious people? And we talked about how this idea of, of missing the mark enters the story. And so we, we told the story of Adam and Eve and how the, the, the story of brokenness starts with uh, a fruit, but then a chapter later ends up with brothers murdering each other. And there's this perpetual cycle of, of our brokenness that has ramifications on how we live life with others. And and it's not hard to just to, to watch the news and you see how much strife there is in our world to, to know that this is a broken, broken humanity. We talked about the end of, of the creation story, the ramifications of, uh, of Adam and Eve. It says that the earth was cursed. And what I want to talk about today is what happens next. So if the first couple of chapters of Genesis kind of gives us an understanding of our identity and how we got this way. Uh, the story then moves, the narrative arc of Scripture moves from a cursed earth to a called people. In the story of God's people, it, God, God looks out and he sees the earth that has been broken, and he starts to call a people to do something about it. So the story moves from cursed to calling, a cursed earth to a called people. And the people in this story of Scripture are called to covenant relationship. The language that is used here is one of covenant relationship. 
And covenant, we have kind of our definition of what covenant meant. And in the ancient world, they had kind of their idea. But I love the idea of covenant when we talk about uh, even inside of a marriage. When we, when we enter into a marriage, we enter into like the sacred covenant. It's, we don't call it a contract, right? We call it a covenant. And we talk about how contracts, contracts are these deals that we get into that we try to, oh, I don't know, what's the word? We try to protect our rights and limit our responsibilities. So if you're a good businessman, you, get into a, you, want, to, you want to have a good contract where you're protecting your rights and you're limiting your responsibilities. But covenant is a language that is, is it's similar to a contract where there's this agreement and there's a, a promise. Uh, uh, but a covenant, you're actually giving up your rights. And you're increasing your responsibilities. And so we talk about when you enter into this marriage agreement, you're, you're increasing uh, your responsibilities to the other person and you're giving up your rights. And when the ancient world, they start talking about our relationship with God, they use this language of covenant with him. There's this surrender, and yet there's this benefit that comes from this relationship with God. And I want to look at three covenants throughout the Old Testament as we kind of look at this narrative arc of Scripture today and uh, see what that means uh, for us. So this is our story. And the first one is the Abrahamic covenant, and it's found in Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 12, we'll start there in verse 1. And this is the story of a man named Abram. He's not Abraham yet. But in Genesis 12, starting at verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And he said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He goes on to verse 7 to say, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, And to your offspring, or your seed, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. So this is kind of the, the first calling that we see in the Old Testament. And this is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And God comes to Abraham and he looks at the cursed earth and he calls a people. And he says, Abraham, I am going to bless you. And you are going to be a blessing to others. And I'm going to use you and through you, I'm going to bless other people. There's this relationship that starts. God starts to look at the cursed earth and calls a people to join him in doing something about it. And what we find in the Genesis story, six different times this promise is repeated between God and Abraham, where he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and then you will be a blessing. If you want to talk about our identity as a people of God, it could be simple, simply this, we're blessed to be a blessing. There's a blessing that comes, and, it, it, and it's for us, but it's not only for us. It's for everyone else. We look at the Hebrew word blessing. The word is borak. I don't have a Hebrew accent, so I'm not exactly sure how that's how it's pronounced. But borak is this idea of a blessing. And it, it's interesting, like when you look at the primitive root of the word, it comes from this idea of kneeling in front of something and bringing honor to it and a gift. And, and God says, I'm going to bless you. And then you are going to be a blessing. And then the rest of the earth will be blessed because of that. The covenant starts with God saying, I'm going to give you life. There's a, uh, an old rabbi who was asked the question, 
how do we know if a theology or a doctrine is good? And the rabbi responds, does it give life? And essentially this message of our relationship with God is God says, I am going to bless you, give you life, bring honor. And then through that, you will bless other people. The Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright says this about this covenant relationship between Abraham and God. He says, God has chosen Israel in relation to his purpose for the world, but not just for Israel. We know the people that come from Abraham, this tribe of people, God chooses them and blesses them, but it's never just for them. He uses them for his purposes in the world. We as a church, God's using us for his purposes here in this community, here in this city. We have a calling. And in that calling, he blesses us. It says, we're called to bring God's blessing to others. What is this about, this, us gathering here on Sunday? What is this about, us starting a new church in, here in Desert Ridge? We're called to bring a blessing to others. We've been blessed to be a blessing. One of the good questions that I ask, been told to ask as a pastor, is we kind of assess, you know, what our church is doing. Uh, a great kind of assessment question is this. If our church simply disappeared, ceased to exist, moved somewhere else, would this community be sad? Would the community grieve the loss of it? Because the church should be a blessing to a community. It should be a gift. Would the community know that it's gone? Would they feel it? I had an opportunity to sit in on a, a stakeholders meeting for the Desert Ridge community a couple weeks ago. Kind of some of the big movers and shakers in the community, some of the, the, the neighborhood leaders from Aviano and Desert Ridge and Fireside were there. High Street, Des Desert Ridge Marketplace were there. And everyone's kind of going around sharing uh, Paradise Valley uh, community colleges there, kind of sharing, here's what's going on in the community, we just want to make you aware of, these are things that, that we're doing, things that we could use help with. And I just kind of sat there and listened to all the different things that are happening kind of in the North Phoenix area. And, you know, I'm, I'm the only pastor there, so, um, you know, I, I'm wondering, you know, what, what they're going to think of me, like, do I have an agenda, like, why am I here? And, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of here to listen and uh, find out, like, different ways that we can get plugged in. Uh, but the, the, the man that was running the meeting is, is Terrence from the Desert Ridge Community Association. And as we go around, we're doing introductions, he gets to me and he introduces me. And, and he just said, this is, this is Pastor Jared with Desert City. They've been here for a few years. And he said, I just want you guys to know that they've been such a blessing. We're just so excited that they're here. Uh, they're really the only kind of faith community in, in Desert Ridge. And so uh, we, we've really enjoyed partnering with them for events. And I, I, like for him, you know, he was giving me a good introduction, but... Like that, answering to that question, if the church ceases to exist, would anyone know? And, and I think that what was exciting for me is that over the last couple of years, we've built up this faithful presence in this community. And it's been a blessing to the neighborhood. And to hear someone like Terrence talk about us from the outside uh, just got me excited and fired up about what we're doing. The church should be a blessing to the community. We had a couple of fun activities that happened this week. Uh, some of our local partners, uh, we had a, a bullathon for Teach One to Lead One on Monday night. Uh, Teach One to Lead One's a, a mentoring uh, program that's in public schools uh, here, in, here in Phoenix. We have a lot of people that mentor for those programs. 
and uh, kind of partner with them in just a way to get into the school system. We had a bullathon on Monday night. We had just a great turnout for that. They hit all of their fundraising goals. Uh, super fun night. Um, and then yesterday we we went down to the zoo and we did the U Mom walk with uh, uh, U Mom is one of the, the largest homeless shelters here in Phoenix. And we did this walk for the homeless and uh, just had a great turnout for that. And uh, and it was just exciting to see how, how people get involved in different ways with just these local partnerships that we have. As a church, we want to be a blessing to the community. And we're small and we're growing, uh, but even now, like to, to turn our, our attention to like, what are some of the broken things in this community and how can we get involved in it was good to see. Next week, we're having World Vision come out on a Sunday. World Vision is uh, an organization that works in the developing world. It does relief, it does development. They're coming out to share on Sunday how we can get involved in some different water projects over on the continent of Africa. Uh, some of you know the Alta Villas. Uh, Alta Villas have been coming to the church for a few months, and uh, they've gotten, uh, Christine works for World Vision. Uh, she's an advocate for them, uh, and uh, just have some exciting things to share. A way for us to be a blessing beyond just this community. So we start here and we start small, but there's different ways to get involved in which we just say that the church should be a gift to the world. We've been blessed to be a blessing to others. We started a partnership with uh, an organization down in Costa Rica, and uh, we're going to be taking our first vision trip this winter, and then next summer looking at doing kind of our first church mission trip. We haven't done an actual mission trip as a church yet, and we're excited about that. Just th things that for us as a church to say, we, we, we are blessed to be a blessing. There's so much brokenness in this world, and we want to just move into the ways that God is reversing uh, the, the, the story of the cursed earth with a calling of blessing. Each and every one of us is blessed to be a blessing, to be a part of the church, to be a part of God's people, all the way back from this time in Genesis chapter 12, there's this covenant relationship where we're blessed. But that blessing is always to be distributed to others. The second covenant that is found. So the first covenant is this Abrahamic covenant. God and his people enter into this relationship where they're blessed to be a blessing. And then what we find is that this covenant is reconfirmed in another story. And it's not only reconfirmed, but it's also kind of expanded. And as the story of Scripture goes, we know that, that God's people from Abraham, his seed, and his offspring, they end up going down to Egypt. They become slaves. They're oppressed for hundreds of years. They cry out to God over and over again. God remembers his covenant with his people, and he delivers them from the yoke of slavery. He delivers them from the Egyptians. And if, you're, if you're older, you remember Charlton Heston telling that story, right? And if you're younger, you may have seen cartoons, but it's a story of the Exodus. Many of us know this story. It's essential uh, to, to our understanding of, of what God is up to in, in this world is that he delivers captives. He sets people free. When we cry out to him, he sets us free. And as Moses is leading this exodus, and as the, the, the Israelites leave Egypt, and they leave the yoke of slavery, slavery, they go to this mountain. And at this mountain, God reconfirms his covenant with them, and he expands it as well. And this covenant has been kind of identified as the Mosaic Covenant. And at Mount Sinai, the Lord comes to Moses. And he says this in Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. 
And now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And all the whole, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he confirms this covenant of his relationship with his people. And then he says this, that you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Interesting kind of picture here is a kingdom of priests. We have our own images of, you know, what does it mean to be a priest here in our culture? In the ancient culture, a priest was uh, someone who had mediated between God and people. So to be a, a kingdom of priests was to be a community that was almost like this conduit of, of what God was doing and, and, and his work here on the earth. There's this, almost like this conduit of, of the will of God that goes through this priestly figure. This is why it's always so dangerous when this position is corrupted or abused, right? Because this is something that, that this is a, a sacred calling to be this conduit between God and his people. And as God looks at the people, the descendants of Abraham, as he looks at these Israelites, he says, you are to be a kingdom of priests. So with this blessing comes also this, this calling that we represent God here on earth, and it's for the benefit of all people, for everyone else, to be this mediator between God and others, this sacred calling that's given in this Mosaic covenant, a holy nation set apart. The Old Testament scholar Alec Modier says this, the substantial truth of this idea of the priesthood of all believers that all of us as God's people are called to be priests. In both the Old and New Testament is this. It's access in the holy presence of God. Access to the holy presence, which means this God's people, the presence of God is with God's people. And they carry it wherever they go. We see this over and over again in Scripture where God's people would say, we don't know what, what your will is or, or where you want us to go, but we know one thing. If your presence isn't with us, we don't want to go. We want your presence to be with us, God. This is why I talk about, like, we, in, in kind of like our, our church culture, we talk a lot about the purpose-driven church. We want to be a presence-driven church. We want to be a, a priesthood of all believers. We're this conduit of God's spirit here and now. So how we live life matters because we are uh, uh, this, this physical embodiment of the living God as a community. How we do life together as a community is, is powerful because people encounter the living God through us. I was reading a, a book on uh, community. I had to do it for one of my, my seminary classes. And, you know, sometimes those classes and readings can be dry. But I was reading this book on community and, and this, this vision for what the church can be. And these are some of the words that I actually tweeted. I liked them so much when it talked about community. Uh, but it was this book written by Christine Pohl, Living into Community. She says, how we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. I heard that and I was like humbled as a preacher, you know, like, yes, like, you can give sermons. But the embodiment of faith of a community is so much more powerful. The way that we live life, the way that we uh, carry each other's burdens, the way that we trust each other and share, the way that we grieve with one another when we go through difficult times, the way we celebrate with each other when we eat, when we feast, like the three-year brunch that's coming up. 
the most powerful sermon, the most powerful message that we have is an embodiment of our faith because the presence of God is with us. It goes on to say, the character of our shared life as congregations, communities, and families has the power to draw people to the kingdom or push them away. And the desire to be a part of communities that are vibrant, caring, and faithful, that's what keeps us working at the task of building and repairing churches. Human beings were made for living in community, and it is in community that we flourish and become most fully human. And the beauty of such a shared life is deeply compelling. And I love that idea, and I feel like that's what we do here at Desert City. I tell people I've been a part of a lot of good churches, um, and I'm not just saying this because we're in the midst of it, but this is my favorite church, because I can't wait to be here on Sunday and see you and meet with you throughout the week. There's just something about this community that just feels healthy and vibrant and faithful and caring. And that's a compelling message when we do life together. Why would you come to Desert I mean, we meet in an elementary school cafeteria, but there's something here that feels sacred because we do life together. And community is messy, and community takes time, and community... Uh, it's hard because we're all broken people. And yet, there's this presence of God that is with us that makes it powerful, that makes no other kind of experience and encounter and relationships the same because there's something eternal that resides here. And I love that. A kingdom of priests is this, this people who are mediators between God and this cursed earth. We bring about the presence of the living God with us in everything that we do. The Mosaic Covenant is to carry the presence of God. We take it with us from Sinai out to the world. We take it here Sunday morning. We gather, we worship, uh, we take the sacraments, we do these things, and then we leave and we carry that presence with us. Every single thing that we do matters because it communicates a message about our God. Third covenant that's found. And this is the covenant that maybe isn't quite as familiar as the other two. But they all continue to build on each other. There's progression of this narrative throughout the Old Testament, of this calling. And it's the Davidic covenant, the covenant that is given to David. David's one of my favorite characters in Scripture. Uh, probably a lot of uh, young boys kind of resonate with him. You know, he's this hero who, who writes, writes poetry uh, that, that all the women love, and yet he's a warrior who slays a giant, you know, um, he's this very compelling character in the Old Testament. And I, I love to read the stories of David, but there's something that's so significant that happens in David's lifetime that takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And as David finally becomes the king, like remember the story of Israel, like they're slaves, they get out of Egypt, God delivers them from, their, from slavery, they're, they're kind of hovering around in the wilderness, and then they enter into the promised land, and then they're constantly at battle, constantly fighting uh, with different people. And finally, God starts to solidify uh, the kingdom. And he brings David, who's this king that's been chosen to lead God's people, uh, to lead this priesthood uh, uh, of all believers. And God doesn't have like a, a place to reside. He doesn't have a temple yet. He's been kind of going around this tent that's been the tabernacle. So they don't really have like a church, almost like a church plant. I don't know. They set up and they tear down, literally, when they have these gatherings where they worship God. 
And they finally get to this place where they're called to build this temple. And it's going to be this place where God resides. And David's trying to figure out kind of like, am I the one to do it? How do you want me to do it? And they're having this conversation. And finally, Nathan, this prophet, shows up to David and he says, go and tell my servant David. The second Samuel 7, starting verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. But I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. But then he goes on to say, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring, seed, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who I will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So think of kind of the imagery here. We have throne, kingdom, house, what's going on. And God says, you're not the one that's going to be building a house for me, but I'm building a house. And what comes from your offspring, this is going to be something that is an eternal kingdom. What is God talking about here? I mean, he's no longer talking about necessarily like house as a place to reside in. He's now talking about this lineage or this dynasty that's going to come from David in which God will dwell in. And he starts to use this language of someone who's coming in the future. He says, you want to build a house, but what I'm doing is I'm going to build this, this residence that is going to be eternal. And there's going to be someone that comes from your lineage. And from that, there's this, this kingdom that is not just this kingdom here on earth, but this kingdom that is, that is much more uh, substantial. It's an eternal kingdom that will come from your lineage of David. If you grew up in the church, or if you're familiar with this text, you might kind of have an understanding of what, what's being told here. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what's interesting about this covenant, as, as God starts to talk about establishing this covenant, is that this is an unconditional covenant. This is, this is something God says, I'm going to do. As I look out at the, at the cursed earth and the brokenness of people and, and how my people have been in covenant relationship with me and there's been these ups and these downs and these ways that they've got it wrong. And finally he says, I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And he establishes this covenant that is unconditional. It's now based on God's faithfulness to his people, no longer on our faithfulness to him. It's like as God has called his people in the midst of this cursed earth, to join him in this work, he's finally saying, like, I'm going to do something about it that just fixes it all. There's one who is coming that puts it back together. And this new covenant that is found in David, which expands on the covenant of Abraham and Moses, is a calling to live in this eternal house, this eternal kingdom. We're called, we're called to live in God's eternal kingdom. And then the one that he talks about, what we find is found in this new covenant. As the, as the narrative arc of scripture moves from the Old Testament to the New Testament, what we might find is the language maybe better used as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And this language of covenant between God and his people starts to get better explained through the life of Jesus. Very early on in the gospel stories, they pick up on this language. In Matthew chapter 20, 21, it says that Joseph, the son of David, is to have a son that will save his people from their sins. 
and he is named Jesus. Oftentimes, the title of Jesus is the son of David throughout the scripture. What's happening here is there's this echoing of this Davidic covenant, this, this one who is to come, who puts it all back together. And it's no longer based on our merit, but it's based on what he does in this world. And we're invited into this story of God reversing the curse. Jesus, son of David. Then there's this language in the new covenant about the Mosaic covenant. First Peter, in his letter, writes to the church and he says to the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And he's picking up on this language of old covenant. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says, you are a temple of God and his presence dwells in you. A kingdom of priests that carries this presence of God. And then in Galatians, there's an explanation of this Abrahamic covenant. Galatians, Paul, Paul writes and he says, In Christ, the son of David, in Christ you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ you are Abraham's seed and you're heirs to this covenant according to the promise. As we've kind of talked about kind of the narrative arc of scripture, what we find is Genesis, the creation story, made in the image of God. Genesis 3 and 4 talks about how there's this rebellion and there's this brokenness. The rest of the Old Testament deals with the calling and covenant of God, where he's inviting people to join him in reversing the curse. And then the next big theme is this life of Jesus, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God. In Christ, we're heirs. We are spiritual heirs to Abraham, invited to join in. So what does that mean for us today? What does that mean? It means this. God is rescuing the exiles of Eden. He's rescuing the exiles of Eden from the curse of death. And he's inviting us to join him in that story. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? It means that we step into this story of covenant relationships. And this relationship has implications for us personally. And when it comes to this brokenness within our soul, God starts to repair that back together. He starts to mend that back together through Jesus. But then there's this calling that this blessing that we receive that gives life isn't just meant for us. It's meant for others. We're called to join God in repairing this earth. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. We're all in different places in our journey. But the invitation today is this, to join this story, to be open to this relationship, this covenant relationship with God, and to join him in reversing the curse. Tim's going to come back up, and we're going to close with a time of communion. But what I'd like to do today, as we reflect on this time, what I'd like to do is just to take a few moments of silence, to bow our heads, and to commune with this God that desires relationship with us. And I would ask that in this time that we would just ask God to, to whisper to us, 
deep within our soul, deep within our mind. Maybe uh, we've never heard from him before. Maybe it's been a long time since we've heard from him. Maybe we haven't heard clearly. But let's create space for God to, to speak within us. So let's bow our heads, take some time for silence, and I'll walk us through a prayer as we move to communion. Lord, we're reminded today that we're eternal beings. We're spiritual creatures, Lord. We're made in your image. And at the same time, we're broken. And that manifests itself in different ways. We know that in the midst of our brokenness, you love us. Lord, we see in this story your sensitivity to the brokenness in the world around us. We see in this story your work throughout history as you're putting the world back together. And we see in this story, Lord, that you're inviting us as a people you're calling us to join this story. But this takes place through covenant relationship with you. Today, Lord, we come to you with we're different places in our journey. We're in different parts of the story. But we know that this is our story. Lord, some of us are living in a story that feels like cursed ground. There's brokenness. There's things that we don't understand that are confusing. And yet, in the midst of the cursed ground, Lord, you're calling. You're calling us people of blessing, a blessing that reverses a curse. Today, Lord, I pray that anyone that would be living in that cursed story would experience the blessing of your presence. Lord, that your presence would reside in us, that we would be a kingdom of priests, a holy community, not for ourselves, Lord, but that we may be a gift to others. And Lord, that this story that we're a part of, we would have this perspective on eternity. We'd realize that we're eternal beings. Lord, we know that you're calling us to this eternal kingdom where everything is put back together. There's healing, there's reconciliation. There's renewal.
Today, Lord, I ask that you would just stir our hearts towards that kingdom. Lord, that you would nudge our soul. That we would have communion with you. Amen. Each week we close our time with communion. Today we want to invite you to the table. This communion represents the story that we're a part of. We take two elements during communion. The first is bread. Bread represents the body of Christ, the incarnation of God here on earth. The image of the invisible God, we see what God is like through Jesus and his life. We see how that body was broken on the cross. And in the brokenness of God, our brokenness starts to get put back together. Then we take juice, which represents the blood of Christ, which was shed on the cross. It was poured out. And we believe that that blood washes away our sin, our iniquity, our brokenness. And through the breaking open of God's body and the pouring out of his blood, we receive life. And we do this today as a reminder and a proclamation of the story that we're a part of. We invite you to the table today. When you're ready uh, to take, feel free to move to the communion table. and We'll spend some time in worship.